None of you have to worry about me walking back through there dressed as a crazy old man or anything. Um, but I uh, uh, appreciate some of the feedback you've given me since last Sunday on, on the Abraham uh, sermon. If you missed it, it's online. Um, as I was going through that message, like, um, I, but a lot of people don't realize this. Most Thursdays I come in here and preach to an empty sanctuary because I think verbally. And so that way I can work through some of my transitions and get some things um, kind of smoothed out then and not up here in front of everybody like, and stumble over my words. As I was going through it, I, I kept, I don't know why. I don't think I did it last Sunday, but I just kept going back to this like, this old man telling a story as I'm telling the whole thing and talking like this. And I don't think I did that last Sunday, so if I did and y'all didn't tell me. Shame on you, you should tell me. Um, but uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at a, a bunch of different passages of Scripture. We're breaking from Genesis today. Um, you've, I've had a couple people ask me about the cards up here. We'll, we'll get to those here in, in just a little bit. Um, but, but we're looking at something that is kind of in the lifeblood of who we are. One, as Christians. Two, as Baptists and three particularly as, as Southern Baptists and, and that's how we engage people with the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. That's how we, we, we present our message of, of hope, our message of peace and, and ultimately what we come to um, as, as Baptists is we look at numbers concerning baptism. Now we're going to talk a lot about baptism this morning and, and the reason we're doing so... We, we've got uh, various backgrounds that have come to our church. Uh, we all grow up somewhat similar, but somewhat different. We've been, some of you have been parts of several churches. Some of you, this is really the only church that you've ever been a part of, the only church you know. And so what, what my purpose is this morning is not to debate different methods of baptisms, not to debate different thoughts on baptism, but to look at what the Bible teaches and express who we as First Baptists are as what is it return. See, I worked on those transitions the other day and it just, just messed up again. Um, but as we look at who we are as First Baptists and what we present as our belief concerning baptism. So, so, just what, what is baptism? A couple of definitions from church history. Um, here's one from, from uh, around AD 365 from Greg's, Gregory of Nazianzus. And it says, yes, yeah, I said that 300 times, Gregory of Nazianzus. Baptism is an outward cleansing signifying an inward cleansing. Or John Calvin, one of the great reformers of the, of the 16th century, 1500 in Geneva, in Switzerland. Baptism seals God's covenant promise to salvation. And he's looking at that completed act. Or the Swiss brethren. The Swiss brethren are some of our forerunners as, as Baptists. Uh, some were referred to as Anabaptists. The Swiss brethren were, were a, a section of Anabaptists, uh, those that would baptize anew with water. And they said that baptism is the pattern of Scripture when someone comes to faith. Well, where do we get these definitions? Where do we get these ideas? And what does it really mean to baptize. So if you've got your Bible, let's look at a few passages of Scripture. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. 
Matthew chapter 28, we have what we know as the Great Commission passage. Now, I know uh, this is probably the most often preached on passage of Scripture in the entire New Testament, save for the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Um, I, I would actually venture to say in many circles that the Great Commission probably eclipses both of those as far as the number of times the sermon is preached. But we get into Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at verse 19 and 20 real quick, and then we're going to kind of talk through some things about baptism. It says this, starting in verse 18 actually, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we look at a passage of scripture, we look at an idea, we look at a pattern, and there's been so much that that has been said and so much that has been done concerning baptism. But Lord, what we want this morning is an understanding of what your word teaches us about baptism, but then the compulsion of the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples that would be baptized in your name. God, that's that's what it's all about. We could talk about baptism all we want, but unless we're going and seeing people saved, then all of our talking is in vain. Everything we've done here, the songs, the, 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 the music, the prayer, the scripture reading, all of it's in vain if we're not going out to make disciples because that's why you called us, Lord. Father, give us ears to hear and give us hands and feet that will act according to your word by the power of your spirit. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're looking at baptism. He says there, go make disciples and baptize them. What in the world is he talking about? Why is he commanding us concerning baptism? What do we need to wrap our minds around when we look at baptism? So we're going to ask the question, what is baptism? What what, what is this thing? I've given you a couple of definitions uh, that come from reliable uh, sources as far as those that have studied the scripture and committed themselves to understanding who God is and what Christ has done for us. But when Jesus makes this command to go and make disciples and baptize them, I believe that it is imperative that we as, as 21st century Christians, as followers of Christ, wrap our hearts and minds around what it is that Jesus actually means, right? It's kind of like when you tell your kids to do something, you explain it. So if you tell your child to eat your dinner, you don't mean for them to pick and play at that and sit at the table quietly while the family eats the dinner. You mean for them to stick the fork into the meat and ingest the meat, right? Now, they could sit at the table and they're part of dinner, but they're not actually eating their dinner, are they? Or school teachers, they can tell, hey, um, one of the, my favorite tests that I ever had when I was in, I was in high school, uh, human anatomy and physiology with Ken Murphy. Man, I loved it. It was the greatest test I ever took because the very first instruction was, the very first instruction was read all of the questions in this exam thoroughly before answering any of the, uh, any of the questions. And so I did. 
And I got to the end and question number 23 was, if you have gotten to this point and have, nothing, have written nothing except for your name, you make 100. I made 100 on that test. Oh, you wouldn't believe the couple of people in my class that had studied and studied and studied and done all their work and filled in these essay questions and worked for an hour and a half on this exam only to fail it because they missed the first question. Church, that's us. We spend decades and billions of dollars as an organized religion on all kind of church stuff, but we've missed the very first instruction. Make disciples and baptize. So what is baptism? Baptism is an act that initiates the kingdom of the triune God. Baptism is an act that initiates the kingdom of the triune God. Over in Matthew chapter 3, once you get through filling in the blank there, uh, you can flip over a few pages to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 has a very interesting man at the center of of, of the narrative. His name is John the Baptizer. I know, you grew up hearing his name John the Baptist, but he wasn't a Baptist like we're a Baptist, okay? We didn't exist until the 1500s. He existed in the 0100s, okay? So he wasn't a Baptist like us, but he did practice baptism. He was a baptizer. Now, he was a forerunner of the Christ. He was a first, the first cousin. Luke's gospel tells us how uh, Elizabeth, the first cousin of Mary, was expecting. And this child was, was the promised one to be the forerunner of the Messiah, the one to come. And John goes around baptizing in the name of the one who would come and presenting that this realization is out there. But then we get to, um, excuse me, verse 13 and it says Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him wait a second Jesus is coming to be baptized right wow I thought Jesus came to save not to be baptized well why did he come to be baptized look what it says John tried to prevent Jesus (laughs) if you want a lesson in futility try to stop Jesus from doing something Especially something that he was sent to do by God himself. He says, he tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. There's an understatement, right? At this point in my ministry, I've probably baptized about 80, 85 people. Um, And uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy the process of walking through baptism with somebody and being able to baptize them. Um, I don't know what I would do if Jesus came and said, hey, I need you to baptize me. I mean, that's just, it's just one of those things you don't, have, you don't really think about. But that's what happens to John. He said, I need you to, ba- uh, I'm supposed to be baptized by you, but you're coming to me. And Jesus answered saying, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fill, fulfill all righteousness. And so John permitted Jesus. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Right here at this very simple act of Jesus going to John the baptizer and saying, I must be baptized by you, we see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons of the singular God that we worship, three distinct persons together at this act. 
Why? Because this was the beginning of the earthly ministry of Christ where he would begin proclaiming the fullness of the kingdom of God. It did not happen until the baptism. Now we fast forward to our lives. Like, well, what has that got to do with me? I'm not Jesus and you're not John the baptizer. So what, what do you got to do with this? Because when we come to faith in Christ, our walk through baptism, through the baptismal waters, is a significant aspect of how we demonstrate the priority of the Trinity in our lives. In other words, we are inaugurating the kingdom of the triune God in our life, publicly because we've already been saved by the Father through faith in the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're demonstrating that publicly. That's why we baptize. It is an act that initiates the kingdom of the triune God. The second thing we find about baptism is that it is a sign of faith and repentance. This is what distinguishes your baptism and my baptism from the baptism of Christ. Jesus didn't have anything from which he needed to repent. Jesus was the one who knew no sin. He lived in our flesh perfectly. He wasn't some sort of demigod. He was not some sort of half God, half man. He was fully God and fully man. He had all of the fullness of God in his fully flesh being. He didn't seem to be here. He actually was here. And what happened was he lived life sinlessly so that he could bear our sins on the cross perfectly. But we, as those who have been baptized, come because we are demonstrating that we have faith in this Christ and we have repented from our life of sin. Over the book of Acts in chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, we have what we know as the day of Pentecost. Jesus has already told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to be my witnesses. They go and hide in a room. They select Matthias to be the replacement for uh, Judas. The Holy Spirit comes in, um, in Acts chapter 2 and Peter, who was scared of a little girl at the, by the fire when Jesus was being crucified, is now boldly proclaiming the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ Jesus in the streets. People are hearing the gospel and it says there in verse um, 37, um, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what are we supposed to do. You've just preached to us this grace message. What do we do? And Peter said to them, repent, each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As a sign that you have repent, you repent and as a sign of that repentance and your faith, you are to be baptized. It's a simple command to show this is who you are. You've trusted Christ, you get the Holy Spirit, there's the kingdom of the triune God in you. Baptism is an act that initiates the kingdom of the triune God and it is a sign that signifies faith and repentance in our lives. Kind of cool, right? Is this news for anybody? It's okay if it is, because I want us to walk through this together before we get to some, um, some less fun aspects of it. Well, the next question we have to ask ourselves, we know what baptism is now. So, so why do we baptize? Why do we, First Baptist Church of Fairburn, Georgia, why do we, Georgia Baptists, why do we, Southern Baptists, why do we, Baptists, why do we baptize? Now, now, the word baptize literally means to dip under or to immerse. We practice what is called believer's baptism by immersion. So that's why when someone comes to faith in Christ, we're talking about this, 
we have a ceremony. We're up here in the, in the tank that's behind the tile. Um, we dip them completely under the water and bring them back up. We, we, we baptize them this way because they've professed faith in Christ because they are demonstrating the signs. So what we look at in this passage of Scripture for, or in, in this, in this uh, understanding of baptism first is that we baptize in obedience to Christ Jesus. We baptize in obedience to Jesus Christ. This goes right back to our Matthew 28 passage. It says there, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity. There's the triune God again. Now, I know what you're sitting there thinking. Evan, I took grammar. I took an English class when I was in high school and when I was in middle school and when I was in elementary school. I know the parts of speech and the command to baptize was not given to me to be baptized. It was given to the disciples to go and baptize. You are exactly right and you passed the grammar portion of that. But did you know that grammar also dictates that when a command is given in the first case it is to be submitted to in the second case for example the disciples are commanded to go and baptize which by inference means that you and our you and I are commanded to be baptized right it's kind of hard to baptize nothing right is it is it not we have first-class commands and we have second-class commands. First-class commands is, are, are those that are given for me speaking directly to you. But by inference, when that command affects someone else, you must then have the secondary obedience. Jesus says, go, go and make disciples. And part of that discipling process is to baptize them. As a church, we baptize because we have been commanded by Christ Jesus to do so. And if we have been commanded by Christ to do so, those who have come to faith in him are the ones that are then on the other side commanded to be baptized. That's why Peter could stand in Acts chapter two that we just read a second ago. Repent and be baptized. You notice what Peter does here? He takes the command that was given to him and transfer it to the new believers, the new hearers. And it says in Acts chapter two, verse 41, just a couple of verses below where we were, that they were baptized and over 3,000 were added to their number that day. That is a big baptism service. That's amazing. And you know, God still does that same work. Sometimes in 2018, 2019, Western civilization, we think, man, God just doesn't save the masses like that. That is bad theology. See, theology is what we say, what we believe, what we think, and what we do about God. There's practical theology and there is principle theology. Principle theology is what we kind of believe. Practical theology is how we live it out, right? To say or to believe or to assume or to assert that God just doesn't, isn't in the business of saving people that way anymore is bad theology. Because if God is not in the business of saving people like that, then why is he in the business of saving anyone at all? But I believe that God still saves. 
I believe that the gospel is still effective to transform our hearts, our lives, and to connect us to all that God is and all that God offers by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Sure, it might not be 3,000 at one time, but I believe he will. As a matter of fact, we have not too distant evidence of this as we have seen great preachers preach to thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. Billy Graham, Greg Laurie, this guy that, we, uh, that we're doing the study, uh, he led a harvest crusade in Raleigh, North Carolina in 2008 while uh, Christy and I were in seminary. He led a harvest crusade and over 1,200 people in two days came to faith in Christ through the harvest crusade in Raleigh. God still saved. It happens. Now the issue is not whether or not God saves, it's whether or not we will lead people to the God who does save. Another reason that we baptize, we baptize in obedience to Christ, but we also baptize as a reminder of Christ or in remembrance of Christ. Over in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, we find this passage of scripture. Verse 1 says, what are we supposed to say then? Are we going to continue in sin so that grace may increase? See, Paul has spent chapter 5 talking about how, how Adam introduced sin, but through the grace of God, Jesus saves us from sin. And so by the one man, death spread to all of us, but by the new man, Christ Jesus, we can all have eternal life because of the grace of God. And he, said, he makes this statement in um, in, uh, in at Romans chapter five, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so there's like, okay, well, if I can get more grace because of more sin, maybe I just need to sin more so I can get more grace. That's the argument that Paul is combating here. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Are we supposed to keep sinning so that we get more grace? Verse two, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised up from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might also walk in a new life. You remember what happened? Jesus was crucified on the cross. He died. And where was he placed? In the tomb, right? They put a big rock in front of it and they put a guard, they sealed it, put a guard out there. But he didn't stay there, did he? What happened? He rose again. 40 days, he walked on the earth and then he ascended. And Paul says, our baptism is a picture because we're standing there. And this is the old man, but symbolically, we dip under to symbolize the burial. You're put under the ground. But you know, I told you a few months ago, I've, probably, I've baptized about 80, 85 people. I've never held them under there the whole time. Right? That wouldn't be good. We want our church to be known for a lot of things, but we don't want to be known for the guy, the church whose pastor drowns people in the baptistry pool. No, no you don't get put under and stay dead. 
You're raised to walk in a brand new life. The old you is gone. You have been transacted by the gospel into a new person unified with God through Christ Jesus. And the baptism pictures that. So every time that we baptize, every time we have a service where we are going and immersing people in the name of Christ Jesus and raising them by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk again, it is a celebration in the believer's life to say, that was me. I was the dead guy. I was buried, but I'm alive in Christ Jesus. Baptism continues to remind us of who he is and what he's done. We baptize in obedience, but we baptize as a reminder. So the third question we ask, we know what baptism is. We know why we should baptize. Maybe the third question, and and, and perhaps God is stirring this question in you right now. You've never been baptized. So the question now is, when should I be baptized? I know what it is. I know why we do it. But when is it appropriate for me? When should I be the one who is baptized? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We read it just a few minutes ago. They asked Peter and the apostles, hey, what are we supposed to do? And he says, repent each one of you and be baptized. We are to be baptized when we receive the gospel by faith. If you have received the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, let me suggest to you that your step of obedience now is to follow him in baptism. He was baptized. He commanded that we be baptized. You have trusted him by faith. Readily and outwardly identify with him through baptism. Not not before, not after. When you have received the gospel by faith. Similarly, we also baptize after you believe the gospel. Look with me, if you will, over in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we have this passage of scripture where Philip, one of the deacons, the new deacons, newly elected deacons of the church in Jerusalem, is proclaiming the gospel. And it says in chapter 12, they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ When they had done this, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. See, we baptize when we receive the gospel by faith. We are baptized after we accept the gospel. This is why we as First Baptists and and as as Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist, Georgia Baptists in general, we practice believer's baptism. We believe, and it is our conviction concerning baptism, that each individual must receive the gospel, profess faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ before being baptized. I know there are other church traditions that that sprinkle babies and infants and and that sprinkling or that that baptism is supposed to to hold them over, carry them till they can make a profession of faith at, at, at this time. But the pattern of the New Testament is consistently, I believe the good news of Jesus. Okay, be baptized. Philip is ushered away from this this guy Simon and he's taken and he's interacting with an Ethiopian eunuch, a man who was an official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And this man is reading the book of Isaiah and Philip goes, to him by the power of the Holy Spirit and explains to him who this is. And the Ethiopian unit professes faith in Christ and says, look, there's water right there. I now believe this. So what's keeping me from getting in that water and being baptized? And Philip says, nothing. Let's go. After the profession of faith, he was baptized. So, So this morning, if you've made a profession of faith in Christ Jesus, let me encourage you 
Let me encourage you to, to make it public by following in believers' baptism, by readily outwardly identifying. Maybe you were baptized as a child or a young adult and it wasn't because you believed the gospel and you believed and had the, the true faith, but because uh, you knew a couple of things or somebody said it was a good idea for you. And, and, and you think, you know what? I didn't really believe. I, I have had several people come to me over the years. We had a couple of men in our church just last fall. We had another man here in this church about eight years ago. I had a couple of men in a previous church where I served that, that they made some decision or so, something years gone by, but it wasn't because of their true faith in the resurrecting work of Christ Jesus. And when they professed faith in that gospel, they knew, okay, I've got to be baptized as a symbol that this is where I am. I mean, if, if you've made a profession of faith and you've not been baptized as a believer, let me encourage you. Let's take that step together. Let, let's enter this, this tub up here together and as a public display for your family here at First Baptist of what the work of the gospel is. As we all celebrate, that was me, but I'm made new in Christ. Well, I've got another passage of scripture I want to share with you. It's Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 brings a question to mind that, that I don't believe is the, the prettiest question or the, the happiest question we can ask this morning. If you were at Roundtable a couple of weeks ago from, from this point forward or some things that we discussed that night. But Luke chapter 15, it says in verse seven, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You may recognize that verse as being central, the central pivotal verse in Jesus' parable of the lost sheep, where there is a, there's a shepherd who has 100 sheep. One of them goes astray. He leaves the 99 and rescues the one and is excited because he finds that missing sheep. And here in this verse, it says, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, one person who comes to faith, one person who says, I need that Christ, than the 99 who don't need repentance. Let, let, let me put it in maybe a less flattering way. God receives more glory when you go to one of your lost friends and neighbor and shares with them the gospel and they believe in Christ more so than you just being here on Sunday. We put so much emphasis on the gathering and I want you here. I want you to be here and to hear the word and, and, and to praise God together. More than that, I want you to be in one of our Sunday Bible studies. I want you to have time to interact on a discipling level and get to know your brothers and sisters of Christ and encouraging one another. I want you there more than I want you in here, but more than I want you in either one of those places, I want you to take what you believe to the word, uh, to the world, to the streets, hit the, hit the city around us with the good news of Jesus because there is more joy in heaven over one who comes to faith than the fact that we had a Sunday morning party. That's the truth of the good news. So I have to ask a question. Have we brought joy to heaven? We've talked a lot about baptism and we're going to be looking at some metrics on baptism. We're, look, we're Baptists. We count everything, okay? 
We count offering, we count noses in the, in the pews, we count how many people were baptized. So every year we submit something to the, to the Georgia Baptist Mission Board that's called the Annual Church Profile. Man, let me tell you, it asks you everything. It asks you how many people you have in choir, how many people you have in men's stuff, how many people you have in women's stuff, how many people you had in vacation Bible school, how many adults you had in vacation Bible school, how much money you gave to this, how many people are on your church rolls, how many people came to Sunday school, how many people were in your worship. They ask everything. And one of the staggering statistics that they ask for each and every year is how many baptisms did your church perform in the last year? How many people were baptized? Man, you go to a Southern Baptist convention or a Georgia Baptist convention or associational meeting, you get a couple of preachers, something like, well, how many people did you baptize last year? That, that's like the water cooler talk for preachers. How many people did you, how many did you baptize? How many baptized? One of my grandmothers, Early on in, in, in my ministry, when I was preaching on Sunday nights as an associate pastor of a previous church, anytime I talked to her, that was the question she would ask, one of the questions she would ask me. Well, how many people got saved and were baptized? Okay, well, th- thank you, Granny. <laughs> Nobody that week, but okay. Um, so, but that, that, was, that was the metric. Now, let me dispel a couple of rumors about baptism before we go further and, and about what we're going to look at here. Um. Not everybody that gets baptized is truly saved, okay? I do my best when people are baptized to ask pressing questions about sin, about when you came to faith in Christ, what that, and and, and the conversion experience looks different from everybody, for, for everybody. It's not like going to get fitted for a tuxedo or a dress where they take the exact same measurements. Okay, you're good, you're in. Some people know the exact day, hour, time, where they were, what they were eating, and what the room smelled like when they were saved. Some people know that there was a process by which many people sowed the seeds of the gospel and they came to understand that I trust Christ more than anything else. They're not mutually exclusive. It's not that this is the right way and that's the wrong way. What is the right way is to say, I trust in Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not the, not the path to get to Jesus. He is... The, the name by which we must be saved. But somebody could lie to me. Could lie to another preacher. Could lie to anybody because they think the baptism is going to be enough to save them. That happens. The other thing is, these are just numbers and a lot of churches don't turn in their annual church profile or some churches may inflate or they might not fully include. So the numbers that we're about to cover for the next few minutes may not be 100% accurate, but they are the numbers that we have to go by. So we're gonna go by them, okay? All right, so here we go. How we brought joy to heaven, 2017 annual church profile of the Southern Baptist Convention. You ready? All right, 2017. There were 42 state Baptist conventions. We were part of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. used to be called the Georgia Baptist Convention. Mo- many states have one Baptist convention. Um, Virginia and Texas each have two. Um, I can tell you more about that in a different message. Some states have to combine. You'll see in just a little while, Minnesota and Wisconsin are together one Baptist convention. Maryland and Delaware are together one Baptist convention. The Dakotas are together one Baptist convention because there is not an overwhelmingly large amount of Baptist churches, so they have to pull together in larger areas than what we are able to do or what we have to do here. Of those 42, um, let's talk about some... um, total reported baptisms. You ready? 254,122 
baptisms in 2017. That's a lot of baptisms, 254,000. Um, that is Mercedes-Benz Stadium filled up uh, about four times, almost completely four times. But it's nearly 10% less people than 2016. In, in one year, we dropped nearly 10%. See, what we have to see the baptisms as is not just how many people got dunked, but how many people have we reached with the gospel? 10% less people than we did the year before. Um, furthermore, 31 states of the 42, 31 states reported a decrease in the number of baptisms. 75% of our state convention said, yeah, we didn't baptize as many people as we did last year. On the other hand, 10 state conventions reported an increase. And one reported no change. That was Tennessee. Uh, not a whole lot changes in Tennessee. Um, but, so if you're from Tennessee, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, we had one that reported no change. 10 said, yeah, more. Four, 31 said, less. Let, let's look for just a second at the top three states that had an increase, okay? The top three states to increase their number of baptisms. The first one's Colorado. Colorado baptized 89% more people in 2017 than they did in 2016. Now, I know you're looking at the, the number there, 1,481. That's a lot of people, but you're like, man, that's, you know, that's, that's not one of the major hitters. That's only a small fraction of the 254, but it's 89% more than the previous year. The, the Dakotas, North and South Dakota together, right at 35%. The Baptist Convention, yeah, I know it's only 248, but that's an increase, that's growth. Maryland and Delaware, up 31%. 1,455 more people added to the kingdom, 30% more than the year before. This time next month, uh, Randy Cunningham and I are gonna be on a return trip from Baltimore where we're going to meet church planners in the city of Baltimore that through the Baptist Convention of Maryland and Delaware, through the cooperative program and NAM, where we send money to help church planners to find someone to partner with, to capitalize on what the momentum they have in making disciples. And we'll bring a report and we'll have a church planner come and share with us. Um, let's look at the top three decrease states. You ready? Maybe you're not ready, but here they come anyway. Number one decrease All right, I'll go ahead and give it to you. Number one decrease, Minnesota, Wisconsin. They dropped 57%, had 149 baptisms. That, that means that, that nearly 60%, that means that the year before, they baptized um, about 270 people. Wyoming, I know these are way out there in the middle of nowhere, right? Wyoming, they dropped 43.8%. South Carolina, Oh yeah, the number's big, 11,853. That is a lot of people to be baptized. But it's 30% less in one year. That, that stings because for the first half of 2017, I was a pastor in South Carolina. 30% decrease. Well, let's keep moving. We have a total of 51,920 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. 
51,920. We baptized 254,122. So basically we had five baptisms per church in our entire convention, five per church. Furthermore, we baptized one person for every 1,300 Americans. I know the exact number is 1,295. One for every 1,300 Americans. It takes 64 of our worship attenders as a national convention to baptize one person during the year. So let's take that number. Uh, Most Sundays we're sitting there in the 210 to 220 range as far as our attendance. So let's just say it takes 65 persons. That means that we'll baptize three people in a year based on our attendance here at First Baptist, about that average. Can I just let you know, 2018, we baptized 11 here. So, so we're ahead of the average, which is great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that God is using us in that way. Um, but here we are nearly a third of the way through. We have, we've recorded zero. So we'll get back to that here in just a second. Um, so let's keep going on some of these statistics here. Um, I know numbers are your favorite thing in the world. I know, I know. Um, 2013. 2013, we reported 289,000 baptisms. 2008, we reported 311,000 baptisms. So in 10 years, we dropped 18.5% as a national convention in our baptisms. In 10 years, we went from 311 to 254,000. You know what the population of America did in the last 10 years? It didn't drop by 18%, it rose. Trust me, you live here in South Fulton County. It rose. You see it every day. Let's project out over the next 30 years. If we assume an 18.5% decrease every 10 years in the number of baptisms, in 2027, we as a Southern Baptist Convention will have only baptized 207,000 people. In 2037, 168,000 people. In 2047, 137,000 people. We peaked in the early 1980s. I believe it was 83, might have been 84, um, at 489,000 baptisms. So in just over 50 years, we will have dropped 64% of our baptisms. That's not good. Did you know that the population of the United States of America is expected to be around 450 million people by the year 2050? 450 million people. Right now we're sitting around 350. So we're gonna add 100 million people and we're gonna baptize mm, 120,000 less than we did in 2017. That doesn't look very good, does it? Right? If you see your bank account doing this, you're going to do something about it, right? Right? Okay. Well, let's get off the Southern Baptist bandwagon for a minute. Let's talk about Georgia Baptist because that's us. Georgia Baptist Convention in the year 2017 as a state convention, um, we baptized, uh, we had 3,585 congregations. We baptized 20,346. That's a lot of people. 20,000. That's like State Farm Arena. We baptized the entire thing. But that's 14% less than 2016. 14%. We baptized one person for every 513 Georgians. So just for, you know, 
illustrative purposes. If every seat in our sanctuary balcony and this was full, we would have about 485 people in here, give or take eight people. We would barely baptize one of them in a year based on Georgia Baptist statistics. It takes 25 worship attenders in Georgia Baptist churches to baptize one person in the course of a year. That's better than the national average by a long shot. And you know, there again, by this number, we as First Baptist Church of Favor would baptize about nine people in a year. 2018, we did more than nine. That's great, right? Well, what does all this mean? Where were we five years ago? 2013, we as Georgia Baptists weren't baptizing 20,346. We were baptizing 27,499. In 2008, we baptized 31,792, which means that we're down 36% in 10 years. That's twice the national average. Right here in the buckle of the Bible belt, Uh, 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 with one of the fastest growing metro areas in the nation. We are bleeding people. 36% drop in 10 years. Where does that put us? Well, if we extend this out over the next 30 years, assuming a 36% rate, we're gonna go from 20,000 this year to 13,000 in 2027 to 8,333 in 2037 to 5,333 in 2047. That is a lot of lack. That's 75% from where we are right now. 75%. Let's back off the Georgia Baptist for here just for just a second. Let's talk about Fairburn. We are the first Baptist church of Fairburn, Georgia, are we not? All right, here we go. Fairburn Baptist Association, 39 churches stretching from Fairburn to Union City to Palmetto, a little bit up closer to the perimeter and all the way down through Fayetteville. We had 226 baptisms. Holly Hill and Parrot Funeral Homes combined conducted 431 funerals. That's just two funeral homes. I didn't get into all the ones in Fayetteville. I didn't get to the ones in Union City. I didn't get to all the ones that we could have touched. Folks, why am I telling you this? Let's just look at that. 226 people that our church has reached, 430 that two of our local funeral homes buried in one year. More and more people are dying without the hope of Christ Jesus. Jesus said, go make disciples and baptize them. We can tell how well we're doing by the number of people that we're baptizing. So so what do we do with this? One of my favorite books as a kid, still to this day is one of my favorite books, is a book by Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss's birthday was this this past weekend. It's called The Lorax. Now, now The Lorax is kind of an environmental tree hugger book. I'm not an environmental tree hugger by any means. But the whole premise of The Lorax was, was that rapid expansion of industry, this was written in 1971, without concern for the environment, is going to deplete the quality of life for all of us. 
And there's this pivotal point at the end of the book, and, and I'm about to show you, is that clip ready to go, Spencer? I got a clip here from the 2012 remake of the Lorax video. Just, just watch it just a second, and we're, we're, we're going to come and talk about it. So this is really all your fault. You destroyed everything. Yes. And each day since the Lorax left, I've sat here regretting everything I've done. Staring at that word. Unless. And wondering what it meant. But now I'm thinking. Well, maybe you're the reason the Lorax left that word there. Me? Why would he leave that for me? Because unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, it's not going to get better. It's not. We pray for revival. We pray for God to make sweeping changes. But God has already called us to him to send us out to see the change of the gospel take place. Young Ted was given a seed there at the end. He dropped it and he caught it and he realized what he had. You've already got the seed. You've got the gospel. You've got Christ Jesus in you. But I'm going to ask you to take another step. All across the platform up here, there are cards that are bound together. Yeah, we've got these in the bathrooms all over and they're out on the welcome desk. These are invite to church cards. And what I'm asking you to do is not to look at this as a card. I'm not asking you to look at this as an invitation to church. I'm asking you to look at this as the soul of someone you know that doesn't know Christ Jesus. I'm asking you to come up here when we have our time of invitation to flood this place, to grab, there are three in here, to grab one of these and spend time praying and commit to taking, because you know the truth, you've heard the truth, the truth will set you free, but unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, it's not going to get better. I promise you, it's not. It's not.